and welcome to Geeks with Shields, your home for all things good and nerdy in this, the darkest timeline. I'm Lord Commander Ulrich, and with me as always is... His shield brother, Axel Wright. How are you doing today, Axel? Uh, I'm alright. Kind of a frustrating day at work. I've been really stressed at work in general, but I got something done, so I feel a little good, yeah. I guess. Take the victory where you can. We'd also yeah. like to welcome back our special guest, Woonvog, who's here to talk with us about some of our favorite superhero cartoons. How you doing, Woonvog? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me back. Yeah, sorry it took us so long to get you back on. No, it's fine. I, uh, I have mixed uh, hobbies, and they're usually strange, but <laughs> uh, it's always fun to chat with other people about unique interests. Well, Woonvog yeah, hangs out. Yeah. Hmm? I was just saying, well, Woonvog hangs out at my house like yeah. twice a week, so. <laughs> yeah. So, no, I think we had a lot of fun talking about cartoons last time. And it's Marvel Month, so let's talk about some superhero cartoons. All right. And I'll kick it off with what I think is easily one of the greatest cartoons of the 90s, and that was X Men. If for no other reason than that kick ass theme song. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that one that made you immediately want to start fighting with anyone in the room, which was we kind of talked about. That seemed to be a thing of music in the '90s, especially in relation to cartoons and movies. Where like this makes me want to fight somebody. Was it Terminator, Mortal Kombat, X Men? I feel like no uh, intro had that better than the original Dragon Ball Z intro, but we're not talking about that today. Uh, this is with a very angry decade, <laughs> it's yeah. y'all pumped. Yeah. <laughs> With X-Men, you know, it's funny. When we decided we were going to talk about uh, cartoons, like superhero cartoons, right? I was thinking about it, and there weren't a lot of Marvel cartoons that I liked growing up. I always liked Marvel more as a property, but most of my favorite animations growing up were things like Static Shock and Teen Titans and, you know, DC properties. I mean, Static Shock's not even a DC property. It is now, but it's really a milestone property. Anyway, not the point. point is... That so I went and looked up just like some lists of Marvel cartoons to see what ones people had to say were good, and on almost all of them, X Men was usually like number two on like best overall Marvel cartoons. <laughs> so it doesn't yeah. surprise me. Well, I don't know about you guys, but I never read a lot of X Men comics growing up, and I still never really got into them. They were a bit too soap opery for me, and there wasn't ever really a good natural jumping in point. But I know. Everything I know about X-Men, which is semi-considerable considering the density of the universe because of this show, because it adopted comic book story arcs directly for the show. Which is pretty impressive considering because a lot of comics uh, adapted into shows usually change up, usually the more weird comic scenarios. But this one did it really well. Yeah, no, it was like, okay, we're going to, you know, this we got weird space pirates and uh gods invading your people we'll throw that in there we've got uh person uh, quote-unquote doctor who believes mutants will become the ultimate humans okay fine eugenics for kids okay well no. plus you know the main villain of the uh, the series and when i say main i mean like most prevalent i guess uh, is one whose entire backstory is about being a a victim of the Holocaust. So. Yeah, and they're like, we're not we're not going to ignore that. We're going to talk about that, and it gives him great pathos as a character. And I think, like I said, X Men. It was big in the '90s. A lot of people don't know this, but X Men originally failed as a comic when it first came out. Oh. Like it just it did not do well. 
And it wasn't until they relaunched it in the mid 80s with the iconic characters we know now that it became this big staple of the franchise. Well, a lot of those characters were there in the first one. I only know because I've seen the cover of the like the first X-Men a bunch of times. But uh, I think it's funny that you know X-Men is a blatant ripoff of what came before it, which was the Doom Patrol, which was the DC version essentially of the same thing. But now, basically only semi-hardcore people even know what the Doom Patrol is, but everyone knows what the X-Men is. Or if you've watched enough of Teen Titans, you've at least heard of them. Yeah, I've never heard of them, and I've watched Teen Titans, but they show it's up in the last season. Time. Yeah, but the point is, the Doom Patrol was like the original that uh, they were trying to copy when they made the X Men, and now it's completely supplanted it in the general consciousness. Yeah, but here's the cool thing I think about that X Men cartoon: while you had your staple characters, you know, uh, Jean Grey, Cyclops, Professor X, and Wolverine, you also had some newer outliers: Gambit. Um, Rogue. Who else well, is on the team? It's funny because as far as I'm concerned, that show was Gambit and Rogue. That's what mattered to me in that show. Beast. <laughs> oh, Beast is awesome, yeah. And then you had these, you know, really great kind of they had some cool cameras. Like they brought in Nightcrawler and they kept his fucked up origin. Yeah, he had a really dark past and they kept it really interesting to like show, you know, his connections with like Mystique later on too. Mm-hmm. No, they did. Like I said, this basically took the comics and adapted them. And the animation was amazing. I still think that the animation really. Yeah. Up. <laughs> I'm sorry. I rather disagree with you there. Like, there's a lot about. I think the intro holds up, but I think once you're actually watching the show, most of the time it's it's pretty stale. Except for the last season when they shipped it overseas, oh, okay. I think the animation is uh, pretty stellar. At least by '90s standards. <laughs> Okay, well, it, it depends on what we mean by 90s standards. We can say by 90s action standards, because it's funny, I have, I have a very specific set of requirements when it comes to what I consider good animation. So, like, for instance, if I think of a 90s cartoon with great animation, my thoughts go to Animaniacs and, like, how fluid that is. So, generally, though, yeah. uh, shows like X-Men, which have higher, um, like, line cost or line economy, uh, you know, which basically costs more to animate then, that's why you get more, like, stiffness in it in a lot of ways x-men felt to me like an 80s cartoon things like gi joe he-man uh transformers that just happened to be in the 90s i like that it had a very neon color palette like that was it felt like a comic and what i think and i this was the whole point of the comic and i remember even thinking this when i was a real little kid it's like oh this is a metaphor for you know segregation and racism <laughs> It's funny you say that too, because like when I was a kid and I saw it, like you know the like kind of government-backed sentinels rounding up anyone with powers. I'm like, as a kid, I was like, oh, that's terrible. But you know, a government would never do something that horrible to its own people. And now I'm an adult, and I'm like, oh. <laughs> well, that was the other thing. I was a kid. The sentinels were awesome, even though you knew they were bad. You're like giant robots. Oh yeah, it's I like. 20-foot-tall RoboCop, and it's like, oh, that's cool, but it's scary. <laughs> See, I think it's great that when you have... So, I was talking about this with The Matrix a while back, uh, but similar thing, that the X-Men is presented in such a way that the metaphor, the, the thing that they represent, is uh, vague enough that you can substitute most um, things into it that can, like, fit. There is... 
uh, a sizable argument to be made that the original intended metaphor is uh, uh, homosexuality or you know things like that nature. But even with that, and you know questions about authorial intent, whatever, the fact that it's there, you can put in like a lot of things, and that metaphor works really well. Yeah, but for all these shows positives, there are definitely some blatant nineties, and <laughs> a lot of it's the dialogue. But there's also just the character of Jubilee, who is the quintessential worst. 90s character. She's the worst. No, she's <laughs> the worst. I do not hate her, but she is a totally useless 90s cliche. She's uh, there to be rescued. Yeah, and she makes... And, and they make things worse. She it makes hurts. firecrackers. It definitely <laughs> hurts the character. Yeah. <laughs> no, they're still trying to bounce that character back, and this is like, not gonna happen. It but I think this is the show that established Wolverine for a generation. I guess. And maybe ruined Cyclops for a generation. Well, it's, it's funny because Wolverine... Uh, you, you're a big fan of Cyclops, right? I am. Big Steel. Oh, I gotta hear this. Guy. <laughs> oh, he, he's just my personal favorite uh, X-Man. Like, I played the uh, old arcade uh, with my cousin a lot. And like I was like that he you know, big steel guy uh, that is super do like that light explosion and go whoa <laughs> but uh, yeah, I'm not sure just, what you mean because big does. steel guy that's Colossus that's like yeah that's yeah Co- sorry yeah, Colossus uh, is my favorite yeah but uh, yeah it's just I I'd always play him and I liked the idea of his power but yeah it's like I never really saw him get a lot of well love in the show I don't I like said. This is kind of the show, to me, that established, you know, we're kids, we're being molded. Okay, we all like Wolverine because he's got knives for hands and he smokes a cigar and he's awesome. And Wolverine has the boring. But Wolverine has the wharf problem, I feel like. Now, get, don't get me wrong, it's been a while since I watched X-Men, but I get the feeling that he spouts off a lot of badass lines but tends to get knocked around a lot. So, am I not yeah, wrong? kind of do. All right. But- Kind of being the front line, he became a punching bag. Yeah, so Axel, who's your favorite X-Man then? Uh, Nightcrawler. Definitely Nightcrawler. We could use more Nightcrawler in this, I think. Indeed. Yeah, I mean, I barely remember him in the original cartoon. He's got a little mini story arc, but it's not really big there. I'm also a huge fan of Rogue. I like. Okay, I know I said before that like Gambit and Rogue were the main reasons. Uh, it's tough. There's a lot I like. Um, so Beast is another one. That's sort of I, I like Gambit's There's fun, not, but he's not a lot actually of great characters to it. I think. Yeah. So, but I'd say like those three are really the the top ones for me: Beast, Nightcrawler, and Rogue. But for completely different sets of reasons. Like Rogue tended to be the most fun character in my opinion, especially in that cartoon where she was the you know the southern badass. I think there's a reason why she might be the reason why I find that particular brand of southern accent attractive. Because that's, most... <laughs> that's a generation thing. Uh, well, because most southern accents I don't find attractive, but that kind, which is what Georgia, uh, Mississippi, I don't know, but there's a specific kind. Anyway. Uh, but like Beast, of course, you know, growing up, I loved any time a character was like a super intellectual character. That's why I like Double D in it and Eddie. So yeah, Beast worked for me. And I, I can't really tell you why I like Nightcrawler. I think I just liked his power set most. And I love the fact that he looked like a demon. No, like I said, this was an awesome show. And I think the reason I liked it so much is it was a show my brothers and I could watch together on different levels. I liked it as a show. 
they liked it because they had read and collected the comics and they could follow the story arcs and see how they were being adapted as well as see some of their favorite characters. I will argue that this is the best X-Men cartoon, but I think actually you're going to challenge me on that. Uh, it depends what you mean by best, because yeah, the cartoon that I first want to talk about is X-Men Evolution, which, uh, you know, depends on what we talk about when we mean best, but I think it's a better constructed cartoon, certainly. Uh, I, I like the the general... So, to any who don't know this cartoon specifically, it takes 90% of the cast and makes them teenagers, essentially. Which, I know, that's initially, that's like kind of warning signs to a lot of people. But I think it really works, because like, okay, you you leave Wolverine as you know, an adult, you leave Storm as an adult, you leave Xavier as an adult, but like Cyclops, uh, Jean Grey, Nightcrawler, Shadowcat, all of them get turned into kids, and you, or teenagers, and you know what? I don't hate Cyclops. Like, I found Cyclops to be super boring in the, uh, in the original X-Men, but X-Men Evolution, it makes, like, he's much more of an actual character, because he's, you know, you can tell he he wants to to be the leader, but the very first episode is about him trying to restrain himself from using his powers to blast away the school jock because he's got his own set of issues. So, like, he's much more interesting in this show, I think. He's still the same boring character to me. Woonvog? Um, I will say I grew up with Evolution more than I did with the original 90s X-Men, so I definitely remember that one more. And I, I actually really liked the characters as they showed them in Evolution. Yeah, it's like, I feel giving Scott the more, like, kind of attitude of, like, I'm the oldest, you should listen to me, worked a little better than just the stoic leader. You know, that's actually, you, you, I think you hit the nail on the head. When I'm watching X-Men Evolution, I feel like Scott Cyclops is the perfect version of a big brother. Like, I feel like he's, that that's what he is. I mean, they introduce Havoc, his little brother, later on, and he's played by freaking greg sipes with the surfer accent and uh it's hilarious but anyway point is that like yeah it's a little bit of a cliche but so are pretty much every x-men but to go from instead of being stoic leader to a big brother character like is much more of an interesting character for my money so it just didn't pay off for me he felt like i they had great setup but to me it always felt like well you haven't done anything to make me think that i should follow you as the leader so i see i I feel like I feel like we get that throughout the the series, especially in the season two. Like I've been rewatching it recently in preparation for this, and we get a lot more like of him coming into his own. Like he's being groomed for. Like at the beginning, it's obvious he's not ready to be a leader, so we watch him become one, right? And like the first time he stands up to to Wolverine, and Wolverine's like, "You want to take charge? Then you do it on your own." And by the end of the episode, Wolverine like helps him out, and he like gives him the you know, the respect. It's like we're watching Scott come into the role as opposed to just being forced to accept it. So, but spending too much time focusing on one character. I mean, I love evolution partially because like I mentioned before, I don't really know why I like Nightcrawler in the original. I know why I like Nightcrawler in evolution because he's hilarious. He's a well-rounded character in evolution. Yeah. I I love that, you know, the, the darkness, right. Of course, if he had to basically hide himself for, you know, growing up. I mean, that was always there in the Nightcrawler character, hence, you know, being in the circus. But at least in the old story where he was in the circus, right, he had some avenue. Here, he just shows up and he's like, yeah, I've had to be basically hidden in my parents' house for 15 years. And so 
now I get to act like a normal kid and I'm gonna go all out. <laughs> so why was he fuzzy? Because that was just his mutation. He bugged me. He was it fuzzy. Was, he was hairy. He's like that's more beasts thing, but it didn't bother me. I mean, he's a demon. Well, he could be whatever he wants. I love that episode where they slow down his teleport and you see the hell dimension he goes into. Yeah. Super no, creepy. This one's kind of a mixed bag to me because there I've I watched it when it was on. I really liked it. And then I went back a couple years ago to try and rewatch it. And it's like, you know, some of this is really, really good. There's some good story elements they lift from the comics. The animation's good. But then sometimes they throw in they play to their premise of this is a te- they're all teenagers and it's just like oh i don't want to watch this i don't want to watch them have teenage issues i think that's a personal thing because i i like that i mean I'm, again i've said before i'm a spider-man fan spider-man is the original kid hero right so I, I like seeing powered people dealing with everyday problems and teen problems are very relatable because everyone's been a teen so it works really well for me <sighs> I don't know. I do like the Captain America episode they put in. That was kind of a cool Easter egg. I don't know if you remember that one or not. Oh, I remember because Wolverine turned out to... Yeah, Wolverine is telling a story about how he worked with Captain America because he was Canadian Special Forces. By the way, can I take a moment to be like, isn't it hilarious that one of the most stereotypical, grumpy, mean superheroes in comics is a Canadian whose stereotype is that they're overtly nice? (laughs) So... It's a great, uh, like, twist on that. Yeah, I always forget that Wolverine's Canadian. But, <laughs> yeah, he uh, he worked with Captain America in World War II. And, actually, they together liberated the um, uh, internment camp where Magneto was held in Poland. Oh. Neat. It's a cool little bit of world building. Yeah. Uh, Magneto, by the way, they, they play him. Like, don't get me wrong. I actually really like the movie kind of version of Magneto where he's very powerful, but at the same time he's, like, you know, very kind of soft-spoken intellectual. But this, along with the X-Men cartoon you're talking about, go with a much more, like, Magneto is a is a goddamn force of nature. Like, his voice is all super, you know, deep and menacing. His He's face is always hidden. Mm-hmm. Yeah, super muscular. I mean, actually, in the um, episode we're talking about with Captain America, uh, Magneto gets the super, super soldier serum, and that's what keeps him young and super muscular, is he gets it. So. Interesting. I remember that part wow. Yeah, because the the plot, right, is that Captain America was the only one to do it because on humans, it caused a uh, degenerative disease. So Captain America was dying because of the the super soldier serum. That's why they froze him. But Magneto's like, that's only for humans. On mutants, we don't have to worry about that. So he manages to get his hands on it and keeps him alive. But Wolverine still destroys it so that it can't be done to anybody else. So Magneto's the last person to get his hands on it. Thus starting the superiority complex. <laughs> <laughs> this is like an after, uh, this is like season two. So this is after Magneto failed his first major plot in season one, which was to get mm-hmm. all the most powerful mutants onto a, a meteor or something like that. By the way, for a moment, I want to talk about the Brotherhood because um, Toad is generally a joke character. And he's a joke character here too, but he's a joke character that I kind of feel for. Like he's got a lot of personality and he's always getting pushed around by even people on his own team and it's like i can't believe the show is making me feel bad for toad no i i, I did not feel bad for toad he was the <laughs> gross smelly kid in school yeah i actually had the same feeling for uh for blob in this oh I mean, yeah it actually made him a very empathetic character no on the other side of that there's uh tabitha also known as boom boom who is not empathetic at all and 
needs yeah. to be um needs some humility beaten into her. By the way, I'm not like a terrible character. Yeah, I'm not gonna lie. I did not like her character. Yeah, I'm not not a fan either. Uh, but I love yeah, I love like most things about this particular series. I like the like I said, I, the animation is a big deal for me. I have a thing, and Corbin's heard me rant about this uh, a bunch of times. But I like when a show has people moving like while they're talking because like actual people do and the show does that a lot it's nice okay what about the kind of the dividing character that they created for the show spike because people seem to really be divided on this guy one way or the other i'm cool with spike i have no problem with him i actually liked spike and uh it might be a bit of spoilers for the end of the series uh if you haven't seen it yet axel but uh i like what they did with his mutant ability doesn't he lose control I, of it? Well, it starts it starts advancing to the point that he like starts getting like growing plates and like kind of loses that point where he can stay in society comfortably. He becomes a Morlock, doesn't he? Yes, and he starts working with the the Morlocks. Yeah, who, I remember that. Who are all underground because their powers are either affect them physically or are way too dangerous to be in like society. Yeah, for the record, there are four seasons, and rewatching it up to today, I only made it into season three. So I'm like in the middle of season three, and I hadn't had time to finish it out. So yeah, I haven't seen that recently, but I do remember that because I remember him having a conversation with Storm where he was like, "You know, this is where I belong," or something like that. Because <laughs> Storm's yeah it, was, an ant, right? yeah, it wasn't a bad show. Like I said my only real problem with it was the comic book parts I could get into and I could follow. When they got into the teen drama, it just and they yeah, made Colossus a bad guy. Uh, they didn't. Okay, they made him a bad guy insofar as Magneto was blackmailing him. Um, I haven't gotten to the part yet where they reveal that, but like, they they have had conversations between Wolverine and Colossus where he's like, "Yeah, I don't want to work for Magneto, but I have to because." And so I'm just saying, like, I have to go back and check that, but I'm pretty sure you're. You're uh, distorting no, the fact that I know well, they blackmailed him, but I still I want an X Men cartoon or a movie where Colossus gets to be a character and not, uh, hey look it's Colossus oh he's gone again. So well, Deadpool, the Deadpool <laughs> came close. The worst part with the Colossus thing in Evolution too though is uh, they, I don't think they actually got to resolve why he was being blackmailed and like what it was to keep him working. Because it was a similar thing with uh, Gambit, that he was actually originally a bad guy, but like it never resolved them turning to the X-Men. I don't remember with Gambit. I thought Gambit, well, he kind of works as in the comics, Gambit was kind of, uh, he started out as a villain, and he would kind of go back and forth depending. Yeah. Yeah, I actually, um, as far as like character goes, I, I like that, uh, I, I hated Kitty. When I first started rewatching it, I was like, yeah. I don't remember Shadowcat being this annoying. And then at some point in season two, I was like, I was totally on her side. I was like, no, I'm, I'm into this character. In a similar way, um, as far as if we want to talk about at least one character that is better in this show than in pretty much any other interpretation, Avalanche. Lance, like outside of this cartoon, whenever Avalanche shows up, he's very simple and one note and not really interesting and here he's a lot more like of a fleshed out character and and like i care about him in this show i I don't understand agree yeah i don't remember him much in anything else but you know i'm not big in comics and i don't remember other x-men 
cartoons that well. But yeah, he was really well done in Evolution, and I liked the kind of rapport he had with Kitty to kind of, you know, keep the Brotherhood, like, more as rivals rather than flat-out opposition always. Yeah, with the exception, obviously, of Scarlet Witch, who's insane. Yes. Which is a nice touch. I really, I really like that they went with that one. And her powers have made her go crazy. That was brilliant. Her powers and her hatred of Magneto. So. Yeah. Quicksilver kind of sucked, but that's just his role. I thought he was perfect. I mean, perfect as for what the character is supposed to be. He's this annoying, fast-talking, arrogant bastard, which is what Quicksilver should be. At least that version of him, Pietro, where he's the child of Magneto. Like, I think that's what he should be, personally. Yeah. Uh, as far as problem characters, I really only have one. Because, like, I, at first I was a little irritated with Rogue, but she came around. I mean, she's not going to be the, the awesome Rogue from the original X-Men, but she was still pretty cool. But the only character that really bothers me is Mystique, because they start her off normal. They hint at a bunch of, like, interesting stuff with her and her relationship to Nightcrawler. And then once season one ends, she goes through this machine that, like, makes her a fully evolved mutant or something like that. And after that, she becomes this arrogant, uh, whiny waste of a character. And it really bothers me that there was, like, a lot of potential there that they built into season one that they then, at least up to this point in the middle of season three, have kind of squandered. Maybe they'll fix it when I finish out the series again, but just saying that that was bothering me. To me, that's the nail on the head for my problem with this series, squandered potential. There was a lot of stuff that worked for me, but a lot of stuff didn't. Yeah. Overall, overall, personally, I like it more than the original X-Men cartoon, mostly because the original X-Men cartoon was a little too simple, a little too stiff, but that's just a product of its time. I'm not necessarily blaming it. It's just preference. But I totally understand your point of view that you're not into things like the teenage drama and whatnot. I get it. All right. So, Wunvab, what do you got for us? <clears throat> Well, I feel a little silly because I know the theme month is celebrating Infinity Wars coming out, and it, it makes me feel like I don't understand what a theme month is, but <laughs> I'm going to talk about Justice League, the animated Ooh. series. I know, the animated get series. No, and it's good, it's good. I'm just going to give you shit. And in all fairness, like I said... Later, sir. <laughs> and like I said, in general, DC animations, I think, are much better than Marvel animations, so, you know, give them a spotlight. Unfortunately, yeah. Yeah, I'd agree with that. It's, uh, and it was it was a big thing because it was all. Uh, not only was it like a big uh, team up for all the DC's best characters, it was a direct continuation from Batman the animated series and Superman the animated series and Superman, which is they're still both hailed as like some of the best DC's DC has done, bringing in you know Kevin Conroy to keep do, doing Batman, which perfect. And Tim, I want to say Dolly, or is it Daly? Tim as, Daly. Uh, yeah, as Superman, who is a, a perfect voice of Superman. That show has um, has two moments that I think, because I'm, I'm on the side of defending Superman. It's become vogue in my age group for people to shit on Superman, and I'll defend him. Yeah. And, and well, that will bring, I'll bring up some of those, co those later, too, because like, one of my favorite things with Justice League is, uh, and... I'd like and bringing up point of contention, but this is Superman, uh, done right, done right or done well. Uh, yeah. Second season Superman, first season Superman, not so much. Well, I, if you're I talking, understand if you're that. Talking they, they start Superman. 
Well, they do start fleshing him out better in season two. Yeah. Uh, well, especially. Oh, go ahead. Oh no! Like I said, you you go ahead. I'll I'll do my thing in a okay. second. Go ahead. Well, uh, I'd say like one of the best two parters, and it's kind of saying something because the entire show is nothing but two parters. Almost. <laughs> yeah. But uh, <laughs> uh, but in season two, the uh, the episodes hereafter, uh, which is a series of uh, Superman's villains decide to team up and try to destroy him. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Toy Man has this machine that just shoots a straight energy ball that dis- just destroys anything it touches, and he does it. He hits Superman, and Superman is gone. And now it's the entire world is mourning the death of Superman, where you find out as the viewer, he's on this mysterious world with a red sun, and... I love it because it's him, Superman, working by himself, losing his powers slowly, trying to survive and figure out where he is. Where? Then <laughs> we'll get to that that little tidbit. Uh, where inversely, the rest of the league is trying to figure out how to live in a world without Superman. And what am I? Batman. Actually. One of the best Batman scenes ever is in this episode he's talking about. Agreed. Uh, and I'd say two of my favorite scenes in that one are after Superman gets quote-unquote killed, Wonder Woman picks up Toy Man by the neck and is ready to snap it. Yeah. Uh, warriors, of course. But uh, Flash runs in and stops her, and... She basically turns to him and goes, why shouldn't I do this for Superman? And he looks at her and goes, you shouldn't do this because of Superman. No, this is an amazing show. <laughs> yeah, but the, yeah. the Batman scene is Batman at Superman's like memorial grave thing. Yes. Just just talking to the big S and saying how like they may have had different methods, but he had nothing but respect for him and like he almost starts crying. He doesn't quite, but you can like hear it in his voice. So yeah. he says, you know, you could always be the symbol I couldn't. And like it's re- that's a really heavy statement. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, but, what's the big reveal? <laughs> the big twist is at the end of this grand journey where you get to see Superman uh fight off wolves, make a sword, befriend the wolves he didn't kill. Because <laughs> of course he would. <laughs> uh he, fi- he ends up finding Vandal Savage, who reveals that he is about, I think they wanted to say like 10 to 50,000 years in the future. Longer, because it was long yeah. enough for the sun to turn red. Yeah, so it was I've, a really long-ass time. Yeah, it's like, I think they gave I think they gave a number, but it might be impractical for how long. But, yeah. Uh, you know, he explains that after Superman disappeared, it emboldened Vandal to do his grand scheme to uh, just fix humanity, which ended up killing everyone but him thanks to his immortality. Yep. So he has a, he's had a lot of time to think about his whoopsie. Yep. <laughs> but and he helps he, Superman go back to fix he it. He helps Superman get back in time to stop him from creating this future. Which was with the gravity gun or something like that. <laughs> so... 
Which, uh, considering gravity is one of the four fundamental forces of nature, there's a reason why in Marvel, Graviton is one of the most powerful villains ever. But that's besides the point. Why isn't he in the MCU yet? Uh, they've hinted at him. He was in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. But they don't address oh. Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. as existing, though. Yeah, I know. I'm just saying that the, the character was in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Not with his powers, but his origin was. Anyway, um... But those two Superman moments, I know we're focusing a lot on Superman, even though the show is the Justice League, but uh, there's there's one, it's a very simple one, but it perfectly encapsulates who Clark Kent is, where it's Martian Manhunter and Superman go to Ma and Pa Kent's for Christmas. Yes, it's and, the, uh, it is the, the Christmas episode. episode. Yeah, the episode before the series finale, uh, Comfort and Joy was the name of it. And yeah. knowing, yeah, knowing uh, the Martian Manhunter, Jean, really has not only uh, nowhere to go for Christmas, but you know his he has no one. Uh, Superman takes him to meet his family uh, in uh, Kansas. And, you know, as they're talking to the uh, Mom and Pa Kent, uh, they make joking comments about, oh, they had to lead line uh, Clark's presence so he wouldn't uh, look at him when we wrapped them. And super then Superman looks at him and goes, "You mean when Santa wrapped them?" <laughs> he does it. He does it all super serious too. He's like, "You mean Santa wrapped them?" It's like this is important to him. Damn it! <laughs> and but, continuing uh, continuing the night, John decides to go out for a walk, and it just cuts into uh, Clark sitting in front of the Christmas tree, and he's staring intently at it, and you just hear him sigh under his breath. Lead. <laughs> it's great. So they know he's still looking at his, trying to peek at his presence. So they still wrapped them in lead, and I feel like that is at the heart of Superman. Is that deep down he he is this just good natured like farm boy that that has these powers that he himself knows how important it is to control them. And for anyone who um, who thinks that he's just, you know, the Boy Scout, which he is, and that's what he's supposed to be, there is at oh, least yeah. one scene that's like, this is how you do badass Superman right, which does exist, which is when uh, Darkseid comes to Earth, um, there's a scene where, like, Batman tries to fight him and gets thrown away, and, uh, and Darkseid mocks him. He's like, why do you keep trying? And then Superman runs up, and he's like, uh, because he'll you know, never give up no matter what me, I've got a different problem. And he like starts punching dark side and he punches him through like a few buildings and he's like walking to him. And he has this line where he says, I feel like I live in a world made of cardboard always, uh, you know, I don't remember the exact line, but he's like, like oh, try so hold hard back in case I break something or, or something. It's a great yeah. speed. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's amazing. But anyway, outside of Superman, justice league also has my favorite green lantern. John Stewart. Everyone's favorite Green Lantern at this point. If you watch this show, this is your go-to Green Lantern. Yeah, exactly. Wonderfully portrayed by Phil Lamar. Yes. Like he did so well as the Lantern. And also, uh, my personal favorite member of the Justice League was obviously Wonder Woman. I mean, I like Flash a lot because of the jokester, but I I, I just love Wonder Woman. So Green Lantern. Woonvog, who's your go-to? Admittedly, Superman. Like, Hmm? I I really liked their animated portrayal of him but uh uh, i think what made this show work was everyone felt developed fully fleshed out as a character and true to their comic origins 
Yeah, they were all their own character, and they were so different, and it meshed so well. Yeah, you would think that my favorite would be Shaira, a hot girl, just because she fits in my uh, my niche of you know badass redhead who <laughs> faces her problems head on with bright neon green eyes. It's like it's ticking a lot of my boxes, but no, I, I like. Who talk of- about your boxes online? <laughs> <laughs> there may be children watching. Hey, it's not my not. <laughs> Hey, it's not my fault that there were plenty of shows growing up with badass redheads. Like why is it always badass redheads like Kim Possible and shit? So, I don't get it. But anyway, point oh, point is that uh yeah, I like I like Wonder Woman a lot. And I like that what was that one episode where they uh they all became kids? I, I want to bring that up because we're <laughs> talking about oh, taking yeah. X-Men and making them teens and then there's an episode Justice League where they make everyone a kid and it's hilarious. Yeah, that was uh... I like the Batman joke. <laughs> and that was early in uh, Justice League Unlimited. Was that Unlimited? Hmm. That was. Yeah, no, it was. Uh, it was just at the beginning of Justice League Unlimited. Hmm. Well, we'll talk about that another time. We gotta focus on Justice League. I mean, technically, it's the same. I consider it the same show. So it's, yeah. it's considered two seasons or two yeah, separate is... series. Yeah, it is yeah. a direct continuation, but uh, it is considered two two shows. I guess. I mean, my favorite thing in Justice League Unlimited was the question being. Uh, Oh, why does his name escape me? He's a big Star Trek actor. But Jeffrey Combs, the question played by Jeffrey Combs, who's right. amazing. I don't know. I liked how this show had big, epic finales. And Unvog, if we're going to talk about, you know, just you got to talk about how they ended this series. Oh, yeah, with uh, Star-Crossed. It was so, so intense. And Is that the Thanagarian invasion? Yes. You end up finding out that... Uh, Hot Girl it has actually been a uh, a spy sent from her home planet of Thanagar to see what kind of defenses Earth had, uh, and you know when her people show up, they're like, "You're you are way underprotected. We need to uh, build a shield to defend you against uh, from the Gordanians, our rivals in this years long war." Okay. But, I vaguely uh, remember this. So. Yeah. But again, it's uh, the big the big reveal on it is you know they don't know if they can trust Hot Girl anymore, uh, but they end up finding out that not only is it not a shield the Thanagarians are building, it is basically a hyperspace byway that will destroy the planet, but allow the Thanagarian main army to get through their the Gordanian. Uh, front line and end the war, but kill everyone on the planet. Mm. And it works because if they've been building Hot Girl as this great character and they had that great will they won't they going between her and Green Lantern. <laughs> Which, Spoiler: They do because they go into the future and they have a kid. So <laughs> yeah, but the uh, the big twist on it is she was actually betrothed to another uh, man on Thanagar, who is the yeah. basically general leader of the people who came, or the Thanagarians that came to Earth. But, yeah, yeah, in the long run, Justice League tries to stop it. Uh, The Thanagarians basically declare martial law on the planet and label them all villains, or uh, criminals, to which then the Justice League all has to go into civilian disguises to try and hide themselves which I think leads to one of the best jokes in the series, 
where the Flash is like, I don't know if I'm ready to tell you guys my secret identity. And oh, Batman, yeah. a Batman immediately points to him and goes, Wally West points to Superman, Clark Kent, and takes off his mask, Bruce Wayne. Yep. <laughs> Just cutting it all out. I know uh, we're going a bit long here, but I feel like if you bring up Justice League, you can't not talk about the Justice Lords because I didn't know Injustice was a thing at all. So Justice Lords was my first foray into uh, evil superheroes. Yes, well, quote unquote evil. Yeah. Oh, come on, man. <laughs> That's the whole point. Rescue to the dark side. Okay, admitted. Uh, but like that that point where um where Flash manages to outwit Batman by uh by stopping his own heart. Well, not actually stopping, by moving it so fast that it seems like it stopped. That was awesome. Yeah, in that particular episode, I give full credit to Batman in that series because between the Justice Lord Batman and normal League Batman arguing over morality of what they're doing, the Justice Lords one says, I have finally, I have helped it make a world that no eight-year-old kid will lose his parents to a thug with a gun. And it's just like, oh. Yeah, I mean, if you're going to do Batman, you can focus on that morality stuff. Ulrich is not a Batman fan. I'm not really yep. either, but there are, he has moments. And Kevin Conroy's Batman, if I'm going to have a Batman, I'm going to have Kevin Conroy's. Yeah, and I think that's, they did Batman right with this animated run. Indeed. And he has think... weaknesses. He can fail. He's not just a broody Superman. And I think that's the best part about the Justice League and Unlimited as a series. It was the DC heroes done right. Yeah. No, I think if, you, if you're going to make an argument for, you know, arguing between who had the better cartoons, DC or Marvel, this is kind of your trump card because... I don't think DC or Marvel ever really did anything that could compete. I mean, the this. closest is, um, I believe, your next show, isn't it? I know you were originally going to go later, but you know, if we go in order, your next, Auric, and isn't the show you want to talk about basically the Marvel equivalent? Yeah, uh, mine is exactly. It's Avengers: Earth's Mightiest Heroes, and unfortunately, I didn't discover this until after it had gone off the air. Mm which kind of bummed me out. And I'll get to why it was taken off the air and you will hear me get very angry. But this mm -hmm. was essentially the MCU in cartoon form. I remember seeing a bit of this when it was on TV and I really liked all of it, including it had a kick-ass opening. Yes. Is, this, is that the one where... If you have not seen this, go see it. Is this the one where the first episode involves them fighting Graviton? Yes. No. Oh, no. They get to it. The first episode, I don't remember which is, but essentially each episode <laughs> introduces a character of the Avengers leading up to a fight against Graviton. Oh, So we've got a Hulk right. episode where we talk just about the Hulk, get to know the Hulk. We get a Captain America episode where we get his whole backstory, and we get a cameo with him fighting on the beaches with uh, Wolverine. This have, did this have um, like Grumpy Hulk who stated Hulk form and refused to transform the banner? Yes, because Banner and Hulk struck a deal that Hulk would get to be out all the time. Yeah, I do remember this, but I must have skipped straight to the Graviton things. That was like the only thing I really remember seeing. Yeah, and no, to a Graviton thing. But that's what this show does. It really feels like the cartoon version of the MCU in that while we are working towards a big conflict, we have smaller ones in between, they are dropping Easter eggs of things to come, big comic events. Um, I think it's funny that I haven't seen a version of um, 
animated Iron Man that I particularly liked. Like, I've seen plenty of animated Captain America I've liked. Every version of animated Thor, like, has been great to me. I've seen versions of Hulk that I lean one way or the other, but I've yet to see a, an animated Tony Stark that I really like. I think maybe it's because animated, they can't give him, you know, liquor. <laughs> yeah. No, in the sense, it, it's, Tony's okay, but the basic team they start with, and they do expand, is you've got Hulk, Thor, Iron Man, Captain America, Hawkeye, Ant-Man, and the Wasp. And then later on, they add Envision, Black Panther, and then occasionally you get crossovers and other characters. Like eventually, they include Luke Cage, Iron Fist, Spider Man, uh, Captain Marvel gets them. They keep, and they, like, it, it feels like cinematic universe. Like you're reading the comic, like Shield exists, Sword exists. They eventually they do uh, Secret Invasion, and they tie Secret Invasion into building up to Civil War, which then they tie, and Ragnarok, they have all these great events building into and it's like again i think like why i liked x-men so much this is like reading the comic and getting to see this and it has a great scene where black panther single-handedly beats down every member of the avengers without breaking the sweat well black that's panther. his introduction well black panther is in a lot of ways marvel batman like you can make arguments that you know it's iron man or something like that it's not like it's black panther considering that he's the one with the multiple uh, you know with the like country's worth of wealth behind him and most of his uh stuff is like tech that he didn't necessarily make himself even though black panther's no slouch intellectually but yeah anyway we had that conversation oh, they, we they, talked about black they, panther uh, first. so they even introduced the purple man they do a whole episode based around the purple man oh and how he's broadcast his signal worldwide and created dystopia and vision is the only one unaffected because he went down for repairs and he woke up in a uh, dystopia ruled by the purple man where thor is his personal bodyguard Oh, I do remember a comic version of that where he had um, Captain America executed on national television, but that was a comic, so. Yeah. So, no, like I said, this is an awesome show with a kick-ass opening, and it got canceled because Disney felt it wasn't promoting the movies enough. That's weird. It was kind of dumb. Yeah. It's like, what do you mean this isn't promoting the movies enough? This is the animated version of your MCU fully flushed out. Because it's like, hey, Maria Hill, you're going to play a part in Civil War, aren't you? Why, yes, I am. I wonder what Civil War is. Well, you should watch our cartoon and find out. I, I hate when good cartoons get canceled for, like, really dumb reasons. Like, if the reason is, oh, it's not getting enough ratings, yeah, that's one thing. It's like, people aren't watching it, okay. But if the reason is, for example, oh, we think too many girls are watching the show, <coughs> Young Justice, <coughs> that's <laughs> bullshit. So. Yeah, no, they have this great saga where they go to asgard to fight loki who has you know created the masters of evil and tony teams up with the dwarves to create magical armor and weapons for all of them and he crafts his version of the destroyer armor Mm. and we get the warriors three who i am personally fond of we get trolls we get frost giants it's this epic all-out fight they introduce they have beta ray bill in this series they did and i loved it one no, this was an awesome show that felt like a comic book. And again, it was constantly building towards the next big event. This was the animated MCU, and I am so pissed that it got canceled. What was yeah. that? There was a animated Avengers movie that I don't remember being particularly good. I just remember one scene in it, though, where Hulk's rampaging, and Thor walks up, and he goes, I didn't know there were ogres in Midgard. And I had nothing to do with anything we're talking about, but I just love that line. <laughs> So, I think that referring to 
is Avengers Ultimate, and it's based on the Ultimate Universe, and there was God, two I of hate. them, and they are garbage. I hate the Ultimate Universe, but I love that line. So yeah, unfortunately, going back to the uh, the cancellation of this one, the other big reason for it is because Disney. That was around the time they acquired Marvel, of course, and they. Another part of it is they wanted to make their own show with it. Which they did, and it's garbage. Yeah. And another thing to, I think, we'll actually kind of get on your back about it, Axel, is that's also the reason they canceled Spectacular Spider-Man. Oh, no. I am very fucking aware of that. So (laughs) So, the same thing happened to both those shows, is they were both running on Disney Channel, but... Disney wanted to make their own cartoons of them. So they canceled two very good shows, basically just because of that. Here's an episode summary from the version that Disney created afterwards. Hawkeye is keeping his identity secret from his mom because he doesn't want her to know he's a superhero. Thrilling. Except Hawkeye. Uh, Here's an episode from Avengers, the ultimate one. Hawkeye had uh, developed a relationship with Mockingbird and then finds out Secret Invasion happened and she'd been a scroll the whole time. And now he has to figure out when in the timeline he actually fell in love with her and if she ever really loved him at all. That's pretty messed up. Whoa. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I... I, Oh, I'm so angry about that. Sounds great If you haven't seen it, go watch it. Hawkeye is also generally a lot more of a... um, What's the word? Uh... Uh, not snark, because he's snarky, especially Age of Ultron, but he's a bit more of a dick, I feel like, in the animations in general. And he is in this one. I know that they started making him uh, deaf in the comics. Was he deaf in that uh, in that series? I know that they've made at least one animated where that is the case. No, they didn't really develop him too much. He kind of gets sidelined. They do give a bit more development to Ant-Man, because he invents Ultron, and then by feeling guilty about Ultron, he fakes his death and becomes Yellow Jacket and hands off the Ant- uh, Ant-Man outfit to uh, Scott Lang. Mm. Which is kind of a direct lift from uh, the comic. Which again, I can't keep on saying that this was an animated comic. It had a kick-ass theme song, had okay, pretty good animation. I don't kind of like how weirdly shaped uh, Hulk or Thor was, but <laughs> well, I guess we can find out based on your comments that you value most in an animation adaptation, feeling like it's uh, the same kind of experience as reading the comic. So, like you, you, uh, you like that kind of you know accuracy and fidelity. It seems to be your priority, right? Yeah, I'm a comic book nut, and I kind of like full action comic books. So, like for me, I, I think I actually prefer you know, taking liberties and, and changing things and exploring. Because, like, the next show I want to talk about, as Woonvog already basically introduced it, is Spectacular Spider-Man, which, you know, remember I said earlier that I was looking at lists of um, animations from Marvel and that X-Men tend to be number two? It's because number one was almost always the 90s Spider-Man cartoon. And don't get me wrong, I love the 90s Spider-Man cartoon. I especially so love the... kick-ass theme song. Yeah, very kick-ass theme song. I love the the dark feel. That version of Spider-Man is probably the gold standard for Spider-Man. I should know the voice actor's name. I don't. That being said, because that one is like an almost straight adaptation of the Spider-Man comics in a lot of ways. Spectacular Spider-Man, on the other hand, is not. It is a much more uh, 
loose adaptation. And in a lot of ways, I really like that. So Spectacular Spider-Man has a, what, Keaton, I want to say, voicing Spider-Man, who does a great job. Because I, I also love that, like, like I said, Spider-Man is the original teenage hero, so I like playing on that. And the way the villains are formed in this particular version is really great. Like, early on, uh, Electro shows up. Now, Electro was never one of my favorite villains in Spider-Man. He, costume. Yeah, but so in this series, what's the first uh, clue that something was different? He's voiced by Crispin Freeman. So that was enough to be like, I'm paying attention. And they gave him, yeah, a much better costume where, like, he's wearing this kind of, like, green getup that looks like it's made of, like, electrical wire wiring almost. And that, like, when this helmet comes down, his face is just constantly elect- all, all electricity as opposed to being, like, a dumb electric mask. So yeah, No, it was just a, it was a dumb outfit. <laughs> yeah, but they do that like multiple times with a lot of characters. I mean, it's ob- like Doc Ock's easy enough. He's actually one of the, the lesser interesting ones. But like, they couldn't get the rights to Kingpin, so instead they used Tombstone, who I wasn't too aware of, and he is done really well. Like, he's super intimidating. He's that really pale dude, right? Um, you know, just general crime bro- boss. And his underling Hammerhead actually has like character and personality. There's an episode where a rival mafia's mob boss is getting out of prison, uh, Silvermane, and his daughter, Silver Sable, and Hammerhead, the Tombstone's underling, are trying to get their hands on plans to make more rhino soldiers. And, like, it's a pretty simple premise, Spider-Man's trying to keep the plans out of their hands. Uh, and And you find out through the course of their fighting that Hammerhead and Silver Sable used to date and so they're like fighting while having this banter about why they broke up. And then they're like, well, we'd get together just again to build, deal with Spider-Man. And it, it's amazing. It's just like so much character for, there's so much characterization on two characters that I basically never cared about. Wasn't this the show that convinced you they could do a PG-13 Deadpool? No, that is okay. Ultimate Spider-Man. And there are too many Spider-Man shows to keep track of. Here's the thing. Uh, as Woundvog said earlier, they canceled Spectacular Spider-Man to make Ultimate Spider-Man. And Ultimate Spider-Man isn't bad. There's nothing bad about Ultimate Spider-Man. It's just, it's not as good. Simple as that. Ultimate Spider-Man spends a lot uh, too much time, I think, being a, like, just a general Marvel property as opposed to being a Spider-Man cartoon. Because Ultimate spends, you know, brings in Deadpool, brings in Thor, brings in Captain America. Most of the episodes have... Power Man, White Tiger, and Iron Fist in it as like Spider-Man's team when they're really more like his sidekicks in that series. And I don't know, I just it feels a little disjointed. But yes, that episode uh, there's an episode with Deadpool in it, um, voiced by Will Freddy, that proved to me that you could do Deadpool and PG and it work. But I found I watched Ultimate Spider-Man before I watched Spectacular Spider-Man, and then once I watched Spectacular, I realized how what I was robbed of. <laughs> Because Spectacular is one of the most like perfect interpretations of all these characters. Okay, a great example. We've talked about Venom before, right? Venom is, I feel like, a very difficult character to deal with um, because of the whole you know, how Venom exists. Venom is very one note in a lot of ways, but he's still interesting. Yeah, he's kind of trapped in the '90s, and it's yes. a tricky one. So one of the ways they handle it in Spectacular Spider-Man is that instead of Eddie Brock being a your rival journalist who's a dick. Eddie Brock and Peter Parker are basically brothers. Like their parents both died in the same plane crash. So they've 
been there for each other like their whole lives. They call each other bro, even though they're not actually brothers. Uh, but Peter was had his aunt and uncle, whereas Eddie Brock went to like an orphanage. So he's got an edge to him, but they're still like really close. So then when shit starts going down and Eddie's life starts falling apart uh, and he finds a way to, you know, blame Spider-Man because that's how Eddie Brock works. There's more, (laughs) (laughs) there's more like meat to what happens. Like when, when Venom first shows up, uh, he taunts Spider-Man by calling him, you know, bro to, to reveal who he is. And it's this, like, it's more than just, Oh, this guy who I was loosely connected with now wants to kill me. No, now it's basically my brother, my best friend is now exists to do nothing, but, you know, try to hurt me and destroy me. There's a lot more, uh, to it. And I, I love that. <laughs> yeah. Th- this is, uh, one of my favorite renditions of Venom. A lot for those reasons, too, because it wasn't just that they built up uh, he was blaming Spider-Man for a lot of his problems. Because of who he, Spider-Man is, Peter kept not being there to support him, so he started having spats of aggression against Peter, only to when the symbiote combined with him, he's like, oh, my problem is just one person. Yeah, okay. They spend a good amount of time building up uh, to to Venom, like they yes. do the whole symbiote outfit arc with Spider-Man while he's doing, you know, being a. At one point, Spider-Man in the symbiote suit accepts to become uh, a lackey for Tombstone because he's so far gone. <laughs> like that's one of the most, you know, like if you want to show how bad the symbiote is, that's one of the best ways you can do it, right? Like m- way better than a, you know a dance sequence. <laughs> so there's no defending that one. Yeah. And then this series also, because it's, you know, Peter in high school, there is that teen stuff, but I like that teen stuff, especially with Spider-Man. And uh, Gwen Stacy's in it, and she's more than just there to die, which she doesn't. (laughs) So she's actually a pretty fun character, at least in the first season. The second season, they really dropped the ball with her. But they kind of circumvent a lot of expectations by having Peter actually date another character entirely. But of course, he's Peter, so, you know, fails. You only got one or two options. Let's be honest. If it's not Mary Jane, it's Gwen Stacy. No, it was neither of them. Um, really? Yeah. Uh, her name is, I, I want to say Eliza, something like Sacrilege. that. Sacrilege. No, nah, she, was, <laughs> she was neat, but the point is that Peter can't be a good at being a boyfriend because he's constantly having to go off and be Spider-Man. Oh, also, J. Jonah Jameson. In this series, they give a very concrete reason why J. Jonah Jameson hates Spider-Man. Uh, okay, I gotta hear this. So, always right. The implication has been that Jay hates Spider-Man because he's a vigilante, because he you know hides behind a mask and you know, stuff like that. But uh, it was always kind of like, well, then why don't you get on other superheroes' case? What's your beef with Spider-Man specifically? He's well, a menace. <laughs> yes, but why? So in this series, they what happened is so Jay Jonah Jameson's son, the astronaut, right? He is having his big launch, right? And up to this point, Jay doesn't care about Spider-Man. He sells some papers, whatever. He has no particular feelings one way or the other. But all the papers are talking about Spider-Man because he's the big deal. So then when Jay's son, the astronaut, has his big day to uh, to go into fucking space, Jay is super proud and he wants to share it with everyone. So he's like, this is what we need to put in the paper. And his, you know, his... uh 
people working for him are like, but right now everyone wants to hear about Spider-Man. And Jay is like, I don't care. My son is the real hero. That will sell papers. So he does a whole story on his son going into space and it doesn't sell at all. And then when the like the videos are on it, no one's watching it because they're watching like news of like Spider-Man dealing with some other problem. So like the most important day in Jay's son's life, which conversely makes it like one of the most important days in Jay's life is completely ruined by Spider-Man's existence. And so then Jay's like, fine, if the city wants Spider-Man, I'll give them Spider-Man. And from that point forward, that's how he treats him. Nothing like a scorned parent to run a smear campaign. Yeah, it makes like... sense. <laughs> you know, it's something that would happen. Let's be honest. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, that 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 is a really nice touch on why I'm going to run this hero, this new hero, into the dirt. Yeah, it's it's done very well. It, you know, every villain in character is really. There's a few characters in it that I didn't like expect to be the way they are, like. Uh, Oh, the molten man and oh i actually really like how with um shocker they go full tilt and give him like the the cowboy accent so he's constantly talking about you know shocking the bug and doing mm. these like these ranch euphemisms and i i adore it <laughs> so i i think i can get behind that i'd have to see i'd have to see, see that to really know for sure it's only two seasons long and it's it's really worth watching. Like it's really good. The one one downside I will say, as far as the villains go, and this is a really weird nitpick of a downside, is the Green Goblin. Now, don't get me wrong. I I love the Green Goblin, and when he's on screen, they play him really well. He's the crazy. He does puns. He you know he throws pumpkin bombs that laugh when they explode. It's pretty perfect. But uh, Norman Osborn, who I don't know if he's voiced by Ron Perlman or if the guy voicing him is just doing a Ron Perlman impersonation, but that's what it sounds like. Um, so when the time comes for him to take off the mask and it to be Norman Osborn, spoiler, uh, the the voice difference doesn't click like mm. at all. Like it just feels very disconnected. And that really bothered me because like Willem Dafoe, who's one of my favorite interpretations of a villain, period, had that kind of perfect in my mind that switch between norman osborne the businessman and norman osborne the fucking psycho and this series didn't really get that down well in my opinion but i've, I've talked about the show for too long point is that they canceled it before it's time it's really good it's worth watching but because it's marvel month and we have to continue our tradition or not tradition but our sequence of doing trivia because we want to give away some marvel movies and stuff so if you want to be given a free Marvel movie of some sort, then you know you got to listen to the podcast. You got to get the Marvel question, which we're giving in each episode. You got to leave the correct answer in the comments below. And you got to join the Geeks with Shields group on Facebook, because otherwise we can't find you and give you the thing. So for this week's question, for the movie that we're giving away in this case is Captain America, the First Avenger, which, by the way, is amazing, if you didn't hear me before. So the question is, in the comics, who is the leader of the Howling Commandos? There you go. Now let's move on through. <laughs> Woonvog, what is your last thing to talk about? Well, I feel like there's no better way to finish up a Marvel Month thing than not talking about another Marvel uh, cop, uh, character. But I'm going to be talking about Freakazoid. Runs around in his underwear. Freakazoid, Freakazoid. Freakazoid. 
I yeah. all those Spielberg shows had the catchiest intros. So yeah. good. Oh, and over the last weekend, I've been I got the whole series on DVD, so I've been rewatching it all, and I've heard that song so many times now. <laughs> but I haven't heard it in I don't know twenty some years, and it's still in my it's head. Still up there, yeah. Um, well, considering Freakazoid's main power was annoying people into submission for his song to do that to you, it, you know, makes sense. In the long run, too, I forgot how much of a fever dream head trip the early parts of this show were. <laughs> That's what I've been hearing. <laughs> well, it's like, episode one is so off the wall in what's happening. It's just like... Isn't episode uh, one with Cave Guy? Yes, cave guy. I love cave guy. The, the Neanderthal, but he's also very well read and a sophisticate. His first line is, "I subscribe to the New Yorker." <laughs> the only line <laughs> <lines> I remember. <laughs> but uh, it cuts away to Freakazoid going to a mint shop with uh, Sergeant Cosgrove, his cop friend, who's wonderfully played by Ed Asner. Just does this deadpan voice, uh, but. It's just like it drifts away into insanity because it cuts away to this like creepy guy like in a trench coat walking around with a watch, and the narrator is like the mysterious man with a mysterious watch, and its power to turn beavers into solid gold. What? Uh, <laughs> well, what is happening? <laughs> for, yeah. for anyone who might not be initiated, because Freakazoid is actually kind of an old show, and it's you know kind of hard to get your hands on these DVDs sometimes, but the, the whole plot of Freakazoid was that um, Dexter Douglas, who's his, the, the kid who's like 14 or 15, was surfing on the internet. I mean, they explained it in the intro song. He uh, pressed a certain sequence of keys, and he got zapped into the internet. And they don't say this straight up, but you find out later that what happened is all of the information on the internet went into his brain and turned him into the Freakazoid. It gave him <laughs> superpowers... Happened? Yeah, it gave him superpowers, but also made him very, very silly. Yeah, I mean, his main superpower is super speed. Like, he, he moves, and he's got, like, a lightning bolt behind him because he's moving, like, you know, information through the web. So He can also fly. He actually of. cannot. He makes whooshing sounds while he runs. He does. <laughs> yeah, he'll, he'll run around going whoosh, whoosh, yeah, he has super speed, but he doesn't actually use it very often. <laughs> no, he's usually just running around making whooshing noises, pretending to fly. I mean, one of the... precursor to Deadpool, in a lot of ways, I think? Well, Deadpool came first, technically. Okay, contemporary um, Deadpool. Uh, I feel like he's more like the precursor to 4chan. So. Yeah. <laughs> there's actually a joke, I think it's in episode 2 or something like that, where there's a scene happening, it's a perfectly normal scene... And then Freakazoid just goes, I'm sorry, can you hold on for one moment? And then he zips away using his super speed, goes all the way to the other side of the planet to what looks like somewhere in Asia, and someone is, like, plowing their field, and Freakazoid just lands and goes, could you stop that infernal racket? And then, like, leaves. And that's it. <laughs> so, yep. This was a weird show. It, it, it was gloriously weird. It's like cow and chicken weird. <laughs> yeah. Very, very much. Um, but they even make the jokes of, like, its production in the show. Because it's like, it shows them in the Freaka layer. And the person he was with, he says, you know, I didn't even know you had a Freaka layer. And Freakazoid turns and goes, well, it's something we're trying to see if it sticks. You know, if audiences like it, we'll, we'll just keep it in. But if not, it'll go. Yeah. 
It's like, and oh, okay. And that went over like, our heads, kids. Yeah, like two episodes later, they go, or Freakazoid shows you, like, good news, Freakalayer is staying. Hmm. Can we talk about my favorite villain in that show who's only in one episode, as far as I know of? Absolutely. Go for it. You know who it is. And you know the joke that I love that I want to talk about. So, but it's your topic, so you go. I am sorry, but I am actually blanking. Candle Jack, buddy. Yes, oh, Candle yeah. Jack. Let me be afraid of Apple Jacks, man. <laughs> he appeared in episode two, and it's about kids talking about this creepy story of a uh, man named, or a guy named Candle Jack. And if you say his name, he will spirit you away. But and by course, spare you away, he literally wraps you up in floating rope and just yep, carries and you. Take, and takes you somewhere. And he shows up, and the kid's like, oh, no, we already said his name. Hello, boys. And he wraps them up, and he starts dragging them away, and some other kids show up. Oh, no, it's Candle Jack. And he turns around and goes, I'm going to need more rope. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. And it's, he says it, like, right to the camera, and it's kind of, like, almost deadpan. Just, I'm going to need more rope. And I love it. I remember that. It made me afraid of just saying the word Jack. I was afraid of this guy. Except the weirdest like, thing is like Apple Jacks. Nope. Can't. No. Just no. Wasn't going to say the word Jack. Except the weirdest thing about the episode, which is indicative of the show, is that Freakazoid doesn't really defeat Candle Jack. Like at the end, no. they just kind of like wash the plot. Like, all right, it's solved off off camera. Yeah. And again, in in that same level of weirdness, it's. Uh, He's or Freakazoid says Candle Jack and gets captured, and uh, they're like, "No, he's got us all." And Candle Jack says, "Yes, not the brightest bunch, are you?" <laughs> but uh, he just does a weird cutaway. To, uh, all of a sudden, Freakazoid just gets up, walks off stage, and just starts thanking like the cast and crew for working yeah. on the show. And then they start the thing up, and it just cuts away to, but while while off screen before he showed up and got captured, he set up a trap for Candlejack, and that's how they win. It's just like, oh, okay, that was weirdly anticlimactic. It's actually funny that, uh, <laughs> if I remember correctly, right, the second season gets a lot more, or a lot less weird, like, and more straightforward, right? The first season's a lot more, like, out out there, and... Yeah, the first season's really slapdash, like, it does a lot of cutaways to, like, other heroes, but... The best part about it is it never shows them actually doing hero things, just Fat them trying to do. Fat boy and lard lad. <laughs> or, uh, yeah, boy blubber. That's what it was. I can remember. I just remember that there's a whole episode of them trying to steal some kid's lunch. Yep. They try to help him, but uh, he ends up trying to take their uh, snack from him. And it's just, <laughs> it's just like, well, if that happened. <laughs> but I. The greatest thing about the show, getting to watch it all back-to-back, I've realized, is no joke was a one-time throwaway, which I find really impressive, because it's like everything came back to another joke later in. Like, even the watch that turned Beavers to Solid Gold guy, he comes back because he actually gets the watch right this time and can turn anything to stone with it. Mm. But... I'd say my favorite episode I've seen so far, though, is near the end of the series called The Island of Dr. Mystico, which, uh. which is a direct reference to the to the old movie Island of Dr. Moreau, mm-hmm. which had the uh, oh, I'm blanking on his name. Marlon Brando. Yeah, Marlon Brando playing this doctor that was making animal human hybrids of people. 
and it's an it awesome was, movie. Yeah, I've heard it's I've heard it's fun, but it's really weird because Brando was kind of off his rocker at that point. Oh, yeah. that makes it good. Brando was <laughs> crazy. But uh, in the episode, Freakazoid is flying all of his villains to Paris to try and keep them from uh, causing problems in D.C. Of course. Uh, but they crash land on this island that's run by Dr. Mystico, who is played by Tim Curry. Yes. <laughs> who, in his own words, is making orangumen. Can we just sure. take a moment to say that anytime you watch an animation and it sounds like someone's doing a Tim Curry impersonation, it was probably just Tim Curry, and that's yeah, pretty awesome. And it, yeah, it's great. And like, what surprises me is it's actually one of his most bombastic portrayals I've seen Which him do. Saying something. Yes, and it's it's great because they're sitting there. And he goes, "They called me mad, insane, Wendell." <laughs> but. Uh-oh. Well, you have any? Uh, I, I could talk about the craziness of Freakazoid or the craziness of Tim Curry all day, but do you have any closing statements on it? Yeah. Well, I, f- I feel like it's so interesting that it's there's so much to talk about about it. It feels, but it's only 24 episodes long. Yeah, it didn't get a long run, I don't think. Yeah, yeah it feels like such a shame because it, it disappeared quick, as opposed to like the 100 plus episodes of Animaniacs, Pinky and the Brain, and uh, Tiny Toon Adventures got, but. It ran into syndication for years, and it became like a cult favorite. I actually really adore the episode where we see him get his powers for the first time, and Freakazoid keeps, like, zippering out of Dexter Douglas. Yes. Oh, and I have have to say, just because you can't talk about it without it, his major villain is Gutierrez, who gets the powers of Freakazoid as well. But he... He is voiced by the late great Ricardo Maltabon. Ooh, that's right. Yeah, and they they do a, a bunch of great references to his old works, especially uh, as Khan. Obviously, um, but the best part is in his second reveal, uh, Gutierrez. You get to hear, uh, you get to hear Ricardo Maltabon angrily yell, "I am not a weenie." <laughs> yep, because Freakazoid that. keeps calling, "Like, oh, what a weenie! I, I am that. not a weenie." You are the weenie. No idea who he was as a kid, but it was still funny then. It's like, ah, this guy's got a cool voice, and he says, I'm not a weenie. Gold. It's so perfect. Well, this has been our, our episode of uh, cartoons uh, in Marvel Month. Four out of six Marvel cartoons. I think we're that's good for the course. <laughs> I mean, Somebody got bad. bribed by Warner Brothers to try and promote their product. We won't say who, though. Uh, yeah, we'll, we'll leave that up to you, astute viewers. So for our suggestions of the week, uh, my my suggestion, because I'm slated to go first according to the document here, is actually an anime that I am into called uh, Hunter Hunter. Now, I don't actually really need to explain much of this. It's basically, did, are you a fan of Yu Hakusho, and have you for some reason not seen Hunter Hunter yet, or Hunter x Hunter, as it's also called? Then you go do that, made by the same guy, and it's basically a continuation in a lot of ways. Uh, Super Eye Patch Wolf has a 50-minute video on YouTube on why the show is amazing. And if that doesn't sell you, or my description of it's like you, Hakusho, doesn't sell you, then I got nothing else for you. So we can go ahead and move on. I think those were words. I'm, I'm not sure. I've got two suggestions. Both YouTubers I highly suggest to check into. The first is the mysterious Mr. Enter, who does has two fantastic ongoing series. One called Admiral Animation, where he reviews 
cartoon shows that he really thinks are good. And he goes in depth into the storytelling elements, the artwork, everything about why this one is good. He talks a lot about Samurai Jack, which is an amazing cartoon. And his other one is a plurable animation when he talks about some of the worst cartoons to come out and why they suck. Um, he did a really great, I discovered, he did a 45-minute video just talking about why the legend, the first season of Legend of Korra is okay, but doesn't work structurally, story-wise, or in any capacity. So right. if you enjoyed this video or any of our videos, give him a watch, for sure. And uh, the other one, on the risk of creating a bit of a down note, is uh, Total Biscuit. He is a fantastic YouTuber and uh, Twitch player did a does a bunch of great video game reviews, hosts the co-optional podcast, one of the best gaming podcasts on the internet. And unfortunately, he has terminal liver, liver cancer and he doesn't have much longer to live. Oh, I didn't know so that. So please, Sad. please, please go out, watch his content, help him as much as you can during what little time we have left with him. Yeah. I had another Sorry suggestion, but now I feel like, uh, yeah, now I feel like it's inappropriate. So. Um, I have one recommendation uh, myself this week is, uh, again, an, another anime on Netflix that recently came out called Agretzko, which is uh, set in a world of anthropomorphic animals. It very Zootopia feel to it, uh, just in that sense, though. You follow Retzko and a red panda who works at a dead-end office job, kind of hates it there. Her boss is a literal misogynistic pig. Oh. Uh, Symbolism! Yeah. Uh, she has, like, loudmouth, annoying co-workers. She sees a bunch of kiss-asses work with the boss. And to vent her frustrations with her life as it is, she goes to karaoke bars and sings death metal. Yeah. And, and Just it's Japan. Yeah. And it's as bizarre as that that is, it is one of the most like weirdly relatable character stories I've ever seen. So it's like, have you ever worked a job where you kinda hated it there and hated the people you work with? You got you got those feelings. Uh you kind of you've ever had those episodes where you just you kinda wanna get away from life and you wanna go do something more, but you know you need to sit back and build up like experience and funds before you can do something like that. There's those feelings. And it's just like for as weird as the premise is, it has very real and relatable characters. And that I find so impressive. This was most important. You mind if um I got I, I realized I had one more when we started and it's one that Woonva could actually talk more about than me, but I I recently started watching uh, the Netflix Voltron with my lady. Oh, it's so good. Yeah, it's it's really good. Especially the, the animation reminds me a lot of uh, Avatar The Last Airbender. And it, it has been made by a lot of the same people. Yeah. And it, Isn't it directed by Guillermo del Toro or produced by him at least? No, I believe that's Troll Hunters. But oh. I've heard good things about that one too. Well, Del Toro is kind of my seal of approval, but go ahead, Axel. Yeah. Oh, I, I just wanted to say that, like, I started watching. I'm still pretty early into it, but it's it's like really good. Uh, the I love all five of the like the main characters who are you know who make Voltron, and one of them is voiced by Tyler the Bean, 
and I just love seeing him in anything. So, yeah. but uh, anyway, like I said, Woundvog has watched a whole lot more of it than I am, so he can yeah. he can talk am, more about it. But yeah, I'm fully caught up on the story, and it's wonderful. I highly suggest it. However, every single season ends on a cliffhanger, so if you cannot handle waiting on things like that, I would say I would say just kind of binge seasons as you can and uh, just be prepared for that. And I just think it's funny that I said this when it first came out because I saw Woundvog watching yeah, and a, a couple episodes of it, and I sat down with him for like two. And the leader, whose name is Shiro, um, I feel like they death flag him really hard in like every episode but from what i can tell they never actually kill him but apparently it's ironic because in the original voltron he did die like right off the bat so and i didn't know that until afterwards but yeah anyway point is it's as far as like it's a superhero show so it's thematically appropriate and it's it's really good and really funny and i feel like if you are a fan of our last airbender which is, you know, most people, <laughs> then give this a shot if you haven't, because it took me this long to get into it, and I, I really like it. So. All right. Well, thank you for listening. Be sure to like, share, and subscribe. Please leave a comment down below if there's something you'd like to hear in a future podcast. We'd like to thank Woonvok for coming back on the show. Sorry it took us long to bring you back on. No worries. I'm always happy to be here, and thank you for having me. <laughs> All right. Anyways, we are on Twitter and Patreon. Links, as always, will be in the description below. This has been Lord Commander Ulrich. And his shield brother, Axel Wright. Be sure to tune in next time where Marvel Month continues. And as always, stay, stay honorable. honorable.